Dear Sir, <clears throat> I'm informed that the ship with Germans has gone up to Baltimore, among whom are a number of craftsmen. I'm a good deal in want of a house joiner and bricklayer who really understand their profession, and you would do me a favor by purchasing one of each for me. I would not confine it to Germans. If they are good workmen, they may be of Asia, Africa, or Europe. They may be Muslims, <coughs> Jews, or Christian of any denomination, or they may be atheists. I would, however, prefer middle-aged to young men, and those who have good countenances, look good, not like me, and good characters on shipboard to others who have neither of these to recommend them, although, after all, the proof of the pudding must be in the eating. I do not limit you to a price, but will pay the purchase money on demand. This request will be enforced till complied with or countermanded because you may not succeed at this moment and have favorable ones hereafter to do it in. <clears throat> my best respects in which my wife joins are presented to Mrs. Tillman and Mrs. Carroll, and I am, etc., etc., etc. Now, before you take offense, this is not about buying slaves, but about hiring indentured servants. Well, obviously, he's talking about Germans, so Germans could not be slaves at the time. Indentured servitude was the way for many people to pay off debts and accumulate capital while being economically protected. It was the institution that helped many immigrants come to America and settle here. In fact, if you can trace your ancestors in this country more than six generations back, <clears throat> there is a 100% chance that they either arrived here as indentured servants or hired or bought, the language at the time, indentured servants as a means to help them immigrate. The history of some towns in central Texas, <clears throat> the German-Czech-Polish heart of Texas, is a history of whole families coming over as indentured servants as one, of one or another Austrian or German noble. Indentured servitude is a biblical concept, and you can read about it in Gary North's economic commentary on the case laws in Exodus 21 through 40. Uh, and later on, ask me about the book. <coughs> All right, so let's return to this letter. Can anyone guess the name of the author of this letter? And it takes us to who the rich employer is who would not mind hiring Africans or Asians? no matter what religion they are, Jews, atheists, or even Muslims, as long as they're good workers. And he takes as to who this despicable, wealthy, rich, liberal trader is <clears throat> who sees no problem with even Muslims immigrating to American soil and even hiring them for his business, effectively robbing local, honest American workers of their right to his business. The letter, my conservative and Christian friends, is signed Mount Vernon, March 24th, 1784, George Washington. <clears throat> and before someone replies that Muslims were not back then a threat as they are today, I would like anybody who's ever been with the Marine Corps to remind them of the origin of the words to the shores of Tripoli 
in the Marines hymn and see what threat Muslims were back then as they are today. I'm not an absolute fan of George Washington. I'm more skeptical concerning him than most Americans educated in government schools. I mean, much in his ideology was closer to centralism and statism than my beliefs are. <clears throat> but this letter speaks more, more than just Washington. It shows us the spirit of the early decades of the new American Republic. So, as we continue discussing our present policies and the views of many conservatives on immigration, keep in your mind this vision of America <clears throat> restored to her roots. An airport gate with no border control or TSA or any other kind of government thugs or perverts and George Washington picking workers to hire for his business of those who just got off the plane. And if this vision is not part of your greater vision of America restored, of your, restored to her roots, you are not part of the solution. You're part of the problem we have today. <clears throat> A problem that is statism, tyranny, and injustice brought upon us by crafty socialist politicians with either D or R attached to their names. Notice how when speaking about the immigration of those workers, Washington speaks in terms of two issues. <clears throat> One is economics. He has an economic need of workers, and he wants them skillful in understanding their profession. The other is spiritual, religious. He wants them to be of good character and of good countenances. Now, it was believed at the time that the good character... Um, of a person is inevitably expressed in his outward countenances, which would make me a criminal at the time, I guess. <clears throat> but economic, the economic and the spiritual factors were the only factors that controlled the issue of immigration at the time. Notice carefully that one factor is missing, a factor that is absolutely dominating the, de the immigration debate today more than any other factor. What's missing is the political factor. Washington doesn't seem to have any concern about any political issues in hiring those workers. <clears throat> he doesn't mention any laws about immigration. He doesn't mention any problems with unions or government bureaucrats. He is not concerned that a shipment of so many workers from a country, Germany, that just three years prior to this letter had 18,000 mercenaries in service of the British government on American soil fighting the army of Washington himself. Remember? Hessians. The Hessian mercenaries. <clears throat> In fact, I changed some of the words in the letter to apply today, but the original word for Germans there is palat Palatines, from the German Palatinate uh, place in Germany that actually included Hesse, the same province that sent the mercenaries. They may, may have been fighting against these people. 
He doesn't mention anything about the possibility that there may be a political assassin among these people who would be more than happy to take out the very leader of revolutionary America. Which makes us wonder, why, would, why were um, these Americans in the early days of the young fledgling republic so oblivious to the dangers of uncontrolled immigration? Why aren't they mindful of the political consequences of letting people just come and find a job? Why is the very person who led the troops in the War of Independence so pragmatic in his attitude to immigrants, even to the point of seeing no problem with Muslims or atheists coming over, <clears throat> as long as they're of good moral character? In order to understand the immigration policies of the U.S. today, we need to look at all of these issues political, economic, and religious, and compare ourselves to America as she was supposed to be. We already saw how we compare to the biblical law. And we saw that as Christians, we have actually been on the wrong side. Friends with the enemy and enemies of God. Mistreating the foreigner and worshipping evil laws imposed by an evil pagan regime. We also saw the history of these laws, where they came from, and we saw that there is nothing Christian nor conservative nor American in the laws limiting immigration. We saw that they were passed by fascists, socialists, liberals, statists, and we have allowed to be brainwashed by those same fascists, socialists, liberals, and statists to accept these laws as legitimate and even root for them and insist on their enforcement instead of returning America. Back to her roots. But we have a final argument to address. What about today? Isn't today different than yesterday? Aren't there different principles today to look at immigration? Aren't there unique dangers today that previous generations didn't face? Problems that make it necessary and expedient to make a U-turn on immigration and adopt a stance which our forefathers would find immoral, unjust, and paranoid. Can we learn from the past and therefore try to return America to her roots? Or is the present so wildly different than that her past experiences don't matter anymore? <clears throat> Are we to be like the progressives we criticize, declaring the past to be of no consequence to us today? To answer these questions, we need to look at the modern arguments for immigration restrictions and answer them. We need to look at them from all perspectives, political, economic, and religious, and honestly assess our situation, our views, and policies. And if necessary, be humble. It's so hard. We're Americans. Be humble and acknowledge. if we have been wrong, and change our views and change our practical living and social and political action. As we, as we saw, political considerations were excluded from Washington's letter about immigrant workers. Why? Well, there's a good reason for such omission. The American patriots had dealt with the political side of the issue in the Declaration of Independence. Restrict, restricting immigration by legislation or political means they considered an act of injustice and tyranny. <clears throat> it was injustice and tyranny enough to make it one of the good causes for righteous rebellion. 
the solution they had to it was to depoliticize immigration altogether, taking it out of the set of the legitimate prerogatives of the civil government. <clears throat> Controlling immigration was just as much an act of statism as tyranny, in tyranny as was a 3% tax on tea. Therefore, the civil government should be barred from controlling immigration. We seldom, we seldom stop to think today that the essence of politics, the primary question of every political issue is this, the individual versus the government. Okay, no matter what the issue is all about, it's always the individual versus the government. This is the essence of politics. Okay. On a deeper spiritual level, it is always Christ versus Caesar. But you will have to listen to my talk to the Kuiper Foundation conference last year to get that message. It's online free. You, you may ask Pastor on after that. He knows where to find it, or I can send it to you. No matter what the issue is all about, it's all about the government trying to grab more power and destroy the freedom of individuals. It's, if it's about helping the poor, it's not about helping the poor, it's about more power to the government. If it's about protecting the environment, it's about more power to the government. If it's about gun control, it's about government control. If it's about education, it's about more power to the government. If it's about food safety, it's about more power to the government. If it's about school vouchers, it's about more power to the government. And if it's about immigration, it's about protecting us, Americans, right? No. It's about more power to the government. <coughs> Excuse me. Any issue on TV, the newspapers, and on the Internet today is just a smokescreen for the real agenda of our own home-born bureaucrats. More power to the government. When you have a politicized issue, an issue that politicians talk about extensively, draw imaginary lines in the sand, separating between them and us, watch out. The final issue is how is the government trying to expand its own power? For the politicians, really, the them is always you, the individuals, and the us is always the political class, R or D. Given this constant greed of government officials for more power over the individuals, our po per political participation must be based on the following rule of thumb for discernment of political causes. Any political cause that ends up asking for more power to the government over individuals is an evil, wicked cause, a cause of tyranny, and we're under obligation to stand against it. Because it is tyranny. No matter how beautiful the declared intentions of the politicians are, we must stand against it because it is tyranny. If your local representative shows you a starving child in Africa and says we need more taxes to save this child, we must stand against it. If he shows you the 9-11 destruction and says we need more power to the government in the Patriot Act, we must stand against it. 
And if he shows you a bunch of illegal immigrants and, and says we need the government to do something against them, we must stand against it. The patriots in the 1770s understood this simple truth. Modern American Christians and conservatives, when it comes to immigration, are blind to the obvious and immune to common sense. They rather prefer to think on the reflex level like amoebas. If Obama is for amnesty, immigration must be bad. Let's call for more federal troops in Texas to secure the border. Now, this stupidity leaves conservatives open to manipulation. It makes it easy to produce some fake crisis, which would make more conservatives mindlessly ask for more federal troops in Texas. At the end, Obama will have a tighter military control over one of the freest states in the United States. And that at the insistence of the conservatives in that state. Every time you're not thinking in depth, but only superficially, if Obama is for amnesty, immigration must be bad, you become a victim of crafty politicians. The current so-called immigration crisis is just the same kind of manipulation as showing pictures of hungry kids in Africa to make people agree to more foreign aid sent to African dictators. Except that one is designed to manipulate liberals, the other is designed to manipulate conservatives. The final objective of both manipulations, of course, is what? More power to the government. The very fact that the first reaction to a crisis is more federal control, please, should make a true lover of liberty stop and consider what is going on. As with everything else, we should be wise and not give free rein to our emotions, let alone emotions driven by fear. We should show such wisdom when we think about the amnesty our socialist government wants and not make the mistake of confusing their amnesty with open borders as so many conservatives do. You know, anytime I talk about open borders and they say, oh, so you're for amnesty. Well, in a sense I am, but I'm not for the Ob uh, Obamas and the socialist amnesty there. So have the socialists really changed their mind on immigration? No, they haven't. But remember, they don't care about immigration one way or another. They want to use any crisis, any occasion possible to do what? To increase the control of the federal government over the individuals and over you. From this perspective, open borders means no government intervention at all. And then we have immigration laws that, have, that mean government intervention. And amnesty, as today the liberals want it, want, means double government intervention. One in the government deciding who gets in legally, and then in the government deciding of those that are illegal who stays. You see that? So the government becomes not only a lawgiver, but a giver of grace as well. In, the, in this regard, for us, asking the government to secure the border is actually only helping the socialists. Because securing the border is more government control, 
and it will never work and it will create more crisis and more power to the government to come and solve the crisis and give grace. The only truly conservative response to the federal government then is this, into the crisis. Obey the Constitution, get the government out of the immigration business altogether, let people travel and settle wherever they want, and only make laws about naturalization as the Constitution requires. And most of all, Mr. Obama, get your troops out of Texas. The political rhetoric has affected another area in the thinking of the conservatives and with, the, with devastating effect. Immigration is the main issue through which conservatives are groomed to worship the federal, federal legislation and submit their moral senses to the federal government. Actually, there are a few areas that this idolatry of the federal government by conservatives is so obvious. They, they don't stop to think how the conservative mind is now conditioned to define good and evil not according to an objective standard or a transcendent law, but according to whatever laws are passed in Washington, D.C. You don't believe what I'm saying? Here's the proof. It is in, it is in the argument used so often to justify the hatred of so many American Christians and conservatives towards immigrants. If they were decent people, they would come here legally through legal means. You see that? If they were moral people, they would obey the laws of a government that we ourselves agree is immoral. <clears throat> Do you see how federal legislation has become the ethical standard for good and evil for conservatives? Do you see the worship of the state in this argument? If you don't, let me apply the same argument in another area so that you see the idolatrous nature of this argument. If you are a decent person, you will comply with Obamacare. Anyone? Or if you were a decent person, you will comply with gun control laws. Or better yet, if the founders were decent people, they would have complied with the king's laws. If Corrie Ten Boom was a decent person, she would have complied with the Nazi laws and she would have turned over the Jews to the Nazis. If Soviet dissidents were decent people, they would have complied with the laws of their communist state. What should be the reaction of a biblical Christian or of a true conservative when we hear such an argument? It should be this. <clears throat> no, if the law was a righteous law, it wouldn't make criminals out of people whose only crime is their desire to find a job and provide for their children. If it was a righteous law, it wouldn't give the government so much power over individuals. If it was a righteous law, it wouldn't deprive the employers of the liberty to hire whomever they want. And then, as is the good old American patriot tradition, the conclusion would be, if it's an evil, unrighteous law, I have absolutely no moral obligation to obey it, and those immigrants have no moral obligation to obey it. Resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. 
the reality is, by the stroke of a pen, Congress created a new legal category of criminal. An artificial category supported by neither the Constitution nor the Bible. The illegal alien. Conservatives have cheered for it and have transformed that artificial legal category. They have gone even further in their wickedness and have transformed the, uh, the legal category into a moral category. Illegal aliens are bad people. We have become more wicked than our government. And then the same conservatives are surprised that Congress creates other artificial legal categories of criminals. For example, the uninsured American. Who must be fined for his refusal to get health insurance. Reality is, once Congress imposes unjust laws on foreigners... It will inevitably end up imposing unjust laws on U.S. citizens. God is not mocked. Not to mention the practical issue of who exactly decides who gets in legally and who doesn't. Isn't it the same federal bureaucrats who, as we know, have a very different idea of what America's interest is compared to our ideas? Would you trust a federal bureaucrat with finding you a job? Deciding your health care, educating your children, deciding what to do with your money. If not, how come you suddenly trust those leeches when it comes to immigration? Are those federal bureaucrats in the consulates less corrupt than the rest of them? Less bribable? I know hundreds of cases where actually decent, hard-working, independent, entrepreneurial people were not given even business visas to visit and meet business partners in the States, while we know of multiple cases of outright criminals who get visas. How's that immigration control working for y'all? Isn't it much better to disband that bureaucratic army and let the people travel freely? For in this way, we have a better chance to have decent people come in. As we saw, for over 1,500 years, Christian Europe and for over 300 years, Christian America knew these obvious truths. That's why the American patriots denied the civil government power over the immigration of people. And that's why George Washington didn't have to include any political considerations in his talk about hiring immigrant workers. Liberty was liberty, period. This politically, this politically a conservative shouldn't be against immigration. If anything, if conservatives in America were really conservatives, and Christians in America were really Christians, they would be demanding the repeal of all immigration laws immediately, right now, as the solution to the fake immigration crisis today. The crisis is not real. <clears throat> it is artificially created by laws that shouldn't be there in the first place, if America stood faithful to the original intent of the founders. What about the economic consequences of uncontrolled immigration? Wouldn't the economy collapse under the pressure of so many immigrants pouring in through the borders? 
Well, when it comes to economic issues concerning immigration, Christians are just unable, just as unable to think clearly and employ common sense. The picture formed in their minds when they think open borders is millions of immigrants who are entrepreneurial enough to cross several borders and come into the United States only to remain passive for the rest of their lives and only live on welfare, destroying the American economy in the process. Now, such picture is the fruit of fears instilled by two decades of purposeful liberal propaganda. And its origins can be traced back to the trade unions and their socialist propaganda techniques in the early 20th century, as, as we all saw. But this thinking has no precedent nor confirmation neither in the history of the United States nor in the history in the of the world. In fact, a thorough study of the facts of history reveals that only positive things can come out of uncontrolled immigration. Now, first let me say this. There's no such thing as uncontrolled immigration. Immigration, like any human action, is always controlled by some factor or another. It's controlled primarily by economic conditions, but it's also controlled by religious, cultural, and linguistic factors. In general, if left free of government interference, immigration will depend on the market forces. People will calculate the cost of immigration and will compare it to the perceived benefits. This balance between perceived cost, I mean, I came here to this country, there, there was cost to it. I had to decide whether the cost is worth it. <clears throat> this balance between perceived costs and perceived benefits will always be the controlling factor of immigration if the government is not included in the equation. When the government intervenes, the information from the market is twisted, distorted, and immigration now depends on the government not on the natural development of the market. So immigration is always controlled. The question is, who controls it, the market or the government? Now let me tell you this, when the government controls it, the market suffers, as is with everything else. Historically, and mark this, historically, we do not have a single instance in history where economic immigration has destroyed a country or a civilization. We actually have examples when mass, when mass immigration actually helped accelerate the economic growth. In America of late 19th, 19th and 20th century is the most perfect example of it. In fact, for countries like with aging population, like the United States, Canada, and Western Europe, and low birth rates or high level of abortions, mass immigration may turn out to be the only tool of preserving the economic growth and the civilization. <clears throat> Let's not forget that the U.S. alone has killed more than 55 million human beings in the holocaust of abortion. Okay. These are 55 million workers, entrepreneurs, innovators, engineers, production organizers, etc., etc., etc. The chicken are coming home to roost in our day. As 70 plus million baby boomers are entering retirement age 
and given the increased life expectancy today, will need senior care for another 20 years at least after retirement. Now keep in mind, at, at, at the average life expectancy after retirement at the time they were born were just five years. We got 20 plus years after retirement. Germany, Britain, and the Scandinavian nations are facing the same crisis. The presence of guest workers in those countries is important for the survival of the whole system. Even Hitler's Germany, for all the racism and xenophobia of the Nazis, had to import millions of foreign workers to keep their economy going. China and Japan are in a much worse condition than the United States and Europe, chiefly because there isn't a large demographic contingent that is willing to immigrate to those countries. Because nobody wants to learn Chinese. And the Chinese themselves usually tend to leave their country at first opportunity rather than stay. Now this picture of millions of lazy immigrants who only wait on welfare is a false picture and it has nothing to do with reality. To the contrary, in any place where immigration is freed from restrictions, it is the industrious, active entrepreneur, entrepreneurial immigrants who outnumber the lazy and criminal elements by a large margin. It is to be expected because immigration is an undertaking of significant cost to the individual immigrant. And when allowed the liberty to immigrate, it is usually the future-oriented, entrepreneurial type of person who is willing to pay the price. In fact, it is partly for this reason that socialists in the past, and Marx himself, have always been firm opponents of open immigration. Because open immigration never changed the political landscape in their favor. Because it always brought in more entrepreneurial people who are against socialism. Karl Marx himself admitted that the policy of open borders for Britain was the reason why his ideology couldn't spread in Britain. You see that? As improbable as it may sound to you, it is possible that the current change in policy of the liberals in favor of immigration instead of their traditional hostility to immigration is caused by their realization that their liberal socialist economic policies don't work and therefore they need more immigrants to keep the economic growth. And remember, the Nazis realized the same. The welfare state in the United States is a step from collapse. And since America has no means to naturally replace the needed workers, the fastest measure to prevent economic collapse is to import, to import workers. Maybe the liberals in the states have finally returned to economic common sense, but now the conservatives have adopted the warmed-over old liberal policy and the culturally suicidal ideology of closed borders. Restricting immigration has other economic, often invisible consequences that you don't really make the connection right away. The major one of them is outsourcing production. <clears throat> the connection is seldom made, but it is real, and it has to do with the distorted economic environment created by government control over an area that's purely economical. You're going to ask, how does immigration restriction affects outsourcing. Here's how. 
immigration laws from the very beginning were proposed by lobbyists of big labor, the trade unions. Okay? Since unions are the voting power behind immigration laws, they have a say as to who gets admitted and who doesn't. Excuse me. <clears throat> of course, as with everything else, they shape the laws to admit only those who won't be any competition to the union's members on the marketplace. Right? If the unions decide who gets in, they will lobby so that specifically the people who would be competition to them would not be admitted. Okay? Thus, lower middle class workers seldom get immigration visas. Only higher middle class entrepreneurs and professionals and lower class welfare recipients get admitted because neither group is a competition threat to the unions. You see that? You got Professionals and entrepreneurs, lower middle class, the typical union member, and then lower class welfare recipients. So this middle class is excluded from immigration because the main lobby behind the immigration laws, the trade unions, control the immigration law, so they exclude those that would be competition to them. <clears throat> okay. So such policy distorts the market in the U.S. The lower middle class workers, this middle, middle uh, layer, who are members of trade unions remain in lower supply compared to the other groups. And if you get something in low, if you have something in lower supply, that means that its price on the market is going to rise, right? Okay. Not only price, but their political leverage is much stronger. Thus, they can twist the hands of their entrepreneurs, who now face competition from higher-class professionals and entrepreneurs who have entered the country. Okay, and they get better terms, better wages, more benefits, earlier retirement, pension funds, etc. But remember this, better terms for workers mean higher cost for the entrepreneur, higher cost for the employer. Eventually, increased labor costs in the United States make business unable to compete. Did we see that in the 70s, in the 80s, and even today? The solution? The entrepreneurs take advantage of the better global communications and the spread of knowledge. And what do they do? Outsource their production facilities. Get out of the country. Okay? Because of immigration restrictions, they can't decrease their cost by hiring those potential immigrant Mexican or Chinese or Indonesian workers. What do they do then? They go where these workers are and move whole production facilities to Mexico, China, or Indonesia and give the same jobs to the same Mexican, Chinese, or Indonesian workers that would have had them here in the States. <clears throat> the only difference is now that because of immigration restrictions, it is the United States that is losing production facilities. And not only the unions lose available jobs, but service companies in the United States that would have worked for these production facilities lose business if it wasn't for the dis and because of the distorted economic environment created by those immigration laws you see that it's all connected you can't change one thing only 
The fear of immigrants is based on a basically socialist view of the economy. There are only so many resources for so many people. That's what a lot of people say. I mean, with our economy here, if we have more people and we spread the resources among them, we're going to be all, we're going to be poorer. Therefore, the opponents of immigration say we need to limit immigration so that we don't get poorer. Well, amazingly, Christians seldom stop to think who they align with in this argument. Let me ask you this. Isn't this the same argument as the argument of those who advocate birth control? Aren't we saying the same thing? There are too many people on the planet and too little and too small resources base. Let's limit the population. Isn't, isn't this what Christians are saying, basically? Isn't this the argument of rich liberals like Bill Gates who hopes that vaccinations in Africa will help reduce the population there? Oh, look, there's a way to limit immigration to the United States, kill all these people out there. We're all going to be richer. <clears throat> Isn't this the argument of abortion advocates in this country? Better kill a baby than let her live in possible poverty. Isn't this... Isn't it absurd that with the same mouth we debunk the myth of overpopulation and at the same time agree with it wholeheartedly? If only Christians could stop and realize the absurdity of the argument. If really more people meant less resources per person and richer individuals, I'm sorry, poorer individuals, would reducing the population of the United States to one man only make that man the richest man in the world? I mean, let's go to the bitter end of it. I mean, if, if, if less people mean richer people, if we reduce the population to one man, is he going to be the richest man in the world? He's going to have all these resources, right? The reality is, if you reduce the population of these United States to one person, or even to a thousand people, or even to a million people, and somehow kept all the resources intact, this group of people will be poorer than an average farm worker in Bangladesh. Why? Because the availability of resources is not what makes people rich, but the work that makes them usable for humans. Are you going to supply your, your fuel? Are you going to supply your food? Wealth is not in the resources that are passively existing somewhere. Wealth is created by work and division of labor and mass production. And let me tell you what, the work, division of labor and mass production depend on the size of the population you have. Other factors play a part too, like government policies, traditional views of work and entrepreneurship, etc. But the size of population is important too. Related to this is this other socialist argument. Immigrants are taking our jobs. Uh, excuse me, whose jobs are these? In what sense does a job belong to you and not to the employer? If I need a man to mow my backyard, does this job belong by right to my next door neighbor just because he lives closest to the job? Or can I hire the guy who lives two blocks over just because I want to hire that guy over my next door member, uh, neighbor? Can your Walmart 
send the cops to your home for shopping at Sprouts because Walmart has the right to your business being closer to your home in your neighborhood? Since when do we conservatives think in collectivist categories like little well-trained communists? These jobs belong to me. An argument is sometimes proposed that given the socialist wasteful policies of the United States government, open borders will, will only increase the waste, so therefore let's first close the borders, fix what we need to fix, and then open the borders again. Now the problem with this argument is that it presupposes that limiting immigration will limit the waste. But what in the world makes us think that government waste depends on the size of the population or on limited immigration. Has there ever been a time in the American history when Congress actually needed the excuse of more immigrants to increase taxes and spending? Ever remember that? I mean, ever remember? Anybody in Congress saying, you know, well, we have more people, more immigrants, we've got to increase taxes and spending. No, they increase it, they increase it, uh, you know, for, for any, any reason. If you have less people, they'll increase it because we have less people. If you have more people, they'll increase it because we have more people. When has, ever, when has there ever been such correlation? Congress increases spending for any reason whatsoever. It never sets aside money, aside money for immigrants, specifically. If you open the borders, Congress will increase spending. If we close them, Congress will increase spending. What in the world can make anyone believe that closing the borders in, will in any way decrease the waste or spending or will help, help us you know, fix the problems in our society and government? And of course, when we close the borders, we actually give that same federal government more power to decide who gets in. And guess what? Who gets in will be those who pledge loyalty to that same federal government which will decrease our chances to turn things around as opposed to entry which is uncontrolled by the government where lovers of liberty will have better chances to enter and help us restore liberty and justice for all. There are many more economic arguments in favor of open borders. We won't have the time to cover them today. I'm sure that there's going to be some in the, in the questions. As with everything else, whenever an area is controlled by the government, the economy suffers. Labor is simply another economic resource <clears throat> which needs to remain fluid and movable to be able to respond to the demands of the market. When the government controls the movement of any economic resource, the economic environment is distorted. Human resources are not an exception. They're like everything else. Also, when the government controls the movement of any economic resource, this opens opportunities for corruption and crime, right? You give the government control over your taxes, guess what you produce? Corruption and crime anything. The human, resource, human resources are not an exception. The only solution to the current immigration crisis is not more federal government, which means more corruption and more crime, but get the federal government out of the immigration business, open the borders for free travel and settling, and let the market forces control 
what is the job of the market in the first place. But nowhere is the madness of American Christians more pronounced than when we come to the religious issues and factors of immigration. In their minds, American Christians are so blind to their own professed faith and to the facts of history and of the current situation in the world that they are completely unable to see the real picture of modern immigration. In their minds, open borders mean that the lawless pagans, and I'm quoting from a guy who actually wrote to me this, these words, the lawless pagans of the world will flood America. Seriously, because America doesn't have lawless pagans now. And the world outside America is full with only lawless pagans, and if there are any Christians, they are not so enterprising and future-oriented as to immigrate to America for whatever reason. They don't want a better future for their children, and they prefer to live in misery, tyranny, darkness, and persecutions. That's why Christians will not come, but the pagans will come. I said persecutions, and stop here and ponder over this last word. Armed with such softies, tearfully posting pictures of persecuted Christians around the world on Facebook? Don't we show such solidarity with our brothers and sisters insisting that the federal government takes measures to stop persecutions of Christians in Syria or anywhere else around the world? And aren't we so incredibly foolish to not stop and connect this fact with our rooting for restrictive immigration laws? If Christianity is the most persecuted religion around the world, as we all admit, I ask, who of the representatives of all religions around the world is most likely to want to immigrate to another place, most of all the United States? Give me a guess. Would that have any correlation with who the most persecuted religion in the world is? And therefore... Who of the representatives of all religions is most likely to be stopped and deported and returned back home to their persecutors by our own immigration laws? Good people will obey immigration laws, you say. But are those who enforce the laws good people? Aren't they federal bureaucrats? Would you trust a federal bureaucrat to protect you as a Christian in the United States? Would you give them the power to decide whether you need protection or not? If not, why do we trust federal bureaucrats to actually make decisions in favor of protecting persecuted Christians around the world? How did that work for the persecuted German Jews in the 1930s? How many of them were returned back to the Nazi slaughterhouses because of our immigration laws? And what in the world makes you think it will work differently for the persecuted Christians of the world today? Stop here and consider this. If this argument doesn't make your blood freeze in your veins, you're not a true Christian.
you're a fake Christian. You're just a churchgoer. Your true faith is not Christ. And your true religion is statist idolatry or American idolatry or any other kind of idolatry, but not the Christian religion. If these immigration laws you have been supporting have been the reason for the return of even one Christian back to his persecutors. Or if these immigration laws have been the reason for even one Christian to despair of even trying to find asylum in the United States because of the high bars imposed on on legal immigration or because of the corruption of the federal bureaucrats, the blood of that Christian is on your hands. If it's better to tie a stone around your neck and jump in the sea rather than seduce one of these small ones, then it's better to have 10,000 Dearborn Michigans in this country than send one Christian back to death by persecution by supporting our evil laws. And before you take offense at this statement, could it be that Dearborn, Michigan is actually a warning by God for us to make us see what we have done to Christians around the world with our immigration laws and give us a foretaste of the judgment coming on us? Could it be that in our foolishness we have misinterpreted the sign that God is giving us through Dearborn, Michigan. Contrary to what many Americans believe, of all religions around the world, Christians are disproportionately represented among the world's immigrants, even in the United States. Also, even among the non-Christian immigrants, the statistical odds of conversion to Protestant Christianity are much higher than among the homeborn. I was talking to, to uh, I forgot to whom I was talking today, that there is much higher chance of people coming over here and converting to Christ than if we reach them in their homeland. The best example right here in front of our eyes is the Hispanic population of the United States. A study of 2002 shows that while Roman Catholicism was the religion of over 90% of the Hispanics over 60 years old, The same percentage is down to 60% in the age group of 30 to 40 years old. With Protestantism in all its forms rising to 40% of the faith of the younger generation of Hispanics. Anybody can raise his hand? An example of this? Hispanic Protestants, Hispanic Protestant Iglesias, strike the observer, and I'm quoting from, from, a, uh, from, from a commentator on the study of, of uh, 12 years ago. He, he says, Hispanic Protestant Iglesias strike the observer with their average age compared to the aging population in the traditional Anglo churches. But there's more, and, and the two books of Philip Jenkins... The next Christendom and God's continent give real facts and data, not propaganda, real facts and data about the religious constitution of the immigrant communities in Europe and the United States. Contrary to the prejudices we all hold today, when immigration is not restricted, Christians are those 
who dominate immigration even if their home countries are not predominantly Christian. The Korean and the Filipino populations in the United States are the greatest examples of that. While Christianity is the religion of only about 40% of the Korean uh, population back home, in the Korean community in the United States, Christians outnumber non-Christians by 20, by more than 20 to 1. Hear that? We're afraid that the lawless pagans of the world will come here. The reality is it's the Christians who come here when you open the borders. The situation is the same among the Filipinos and similar among, listen to this, to the Arabic immigrants. When you meet an Arab immigrant or anyone of Arabic origin in the United States, you run a 50% chance of them being Christian. A percentage far, far higher than, than in the Arabic world. Such is the picture among Russian and Ukrainian immigrants as well. And the Russian and Ukrainian pockets in New York City are actually bastions of the Republican Party in a city that is heavily Democrat in its voting preferences. And it is known to all that immigrant Jews from the former Soviet Union separate themselves from American Jews for one simple reason. Why? Immigrant Jews are self-consciously conservative and much more loyal to the original vision of America than are American Jews. The situation is the same in Europe as Philip Jenkins shows. While we love to be scared by pictures of immigrant communities in Europe with women in burqas and men in turbans, the truth is Christian churches, and not just the, the dead European traditional churches, but vibrant, life-active churches, outnumber mosques in the immigrant communities by four to one. Now, this is not visible to the eye, and it's not, it cannot be on the news, because these people do not go around in flowing robes and turbans and burqas. But the truth is, Christianity in Europe is flourishing among immigrant communities, and in some areas, immigrant communities provide the only place a true worshiper of God can go. The only other option is being some dead church, traditional church out there. In fact, my daughter is right now in France on a short-term mission. In one of, uh, uh, if, if she is in France, in Montauban, and the only true life church where she is is a Pentecostal church in Montauban, France, near Toulouse. And half of the half of the people in the church are immigrants from Africa. She sent me pictures. It's just you know those African kids there. If you want to go to a really uh, living Protestant church in that city, this is your church. <laughs> There's no other. <clears throat> the examples are too many to be listed here, but you all need to read these two books that I showed you, Philip Jenkins, to actually learn the facts. Restriction of immigration, therefore, won't, won't help save the Western civilization. It will only help it surrender to the forces of atheism and socialism. Just like the influx of Gentiles in the church in the first century helped save and continue the covenant of God, saving it from the home-born Jews, yes. 
Immigration today may be the same force sent by God to save the Western civilization from its downward spiral into atheism and lawlessness. Religiously, we have nothing to fear from immigration. And we have everything to fear from our own spiritual stagnation and also from our violation of the law of God in this particular area. Thus, there are no reasons, political, economic, or religious, to curb, control, limit, or restrict immigration. Immigration is not bad, and in fact, it is good for America, and it has always been. Restrictions on immigration are only another area of government control that has gone beyond the limits God has placed on the civil government. And they are destroying America politically and economically and religiously. The final question then will be, how do we deal with the immigration crisis we're facing today? If we were asked as Christians by our representatives in Congress, okay, you Christians, tell us what to do. What does the Bible say about it? What answer are we to give them? Our answer should be this. Like so many crises America has been through, this crisis is an artificial crisis created not, as many wrongly believe, by the lack of involvement of the civil government, but by too much government. Just like the violence and gang crisis created by the prohibition a hundred years ago, we today have violence and gang crisis created by another prohibition, the immigration prohibition. If we were faithful to the Bible, and if we were faithful to the Constitution at least, and we had never given the federal government the power to control the movement of individuals, these children here in McAllen would have been with their parents because their parents would have come over the normal way just as your ancestors came here several generations ago. As we saw before, between 1880 and 1910, in the span of 30 years only, America's population tripled thanks to immigration, and there was no such immigration crisis as wave after wave of immigrants reached the shores of America and made their new home in their new country. The real crisis is not that we have allowed more immigrants. Actually, if you look at the individual states, the states boast when they are able to attract more people. Right? And Texas is the state that boasts more than any others because we boast. We're Texans. Come on. We boast always. And we boast more than any other state with attracting people from the other states. The crisis that we have allowed is to be due by the liberals to declare immigration a bad thing and adopt a socialist ideology about it. When the prohibition created the crisis of violence and corruption in gangs, the only solution was end the prohibition now. When they did, the problem disappeared overnight. The more they delayed the solution, the worse the problem became. You don't solve a problem by delaying the solution. Therefore, there's only one solution to this crisis. Obey the Bible. Obey the Constitution. Get the federal government out of the business of immigration and repeal all laws that limit immigration. Return America to the original formula of open immigration, limited political franchise. Let the people move free, restrain the government, and limit the voting privilege. Anything else? 
will only continue the agony and will eventually bring judgment on this once great nation for her disobedience to the law of God. Thank you.